0: One of the prayer requests I failed to make you aware of this morning is uh, also a prayer for uh, Tim Perkins, who has uh, got a, a leg injury. They believe it's a torn meniscus in his knee. So they're gonna—he's uh, gonna have to go this week for the, uh, to the doctor and see if he's gonna need surgery and things like that. So please be in prayer for uh, for Tim because it's obvious he's in a good bit of discomfort right now as he is uh, dealing with these things. So. Um, Again, add that to the prayer list, and we certainly want to be faithful to lift him up at this time. This morning we uh, continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Today we move into chapter 9. Today uh, we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 16. This is one of those rare occasions that the passage I gave to Allison to put in the bulletin, and the passage I'm actually going to preach on is a little bit different, just in terms of the number of verses, so that uh, the error there is mine as far as what was communicated to her, but we'll be going through verse 16 today. It's found on page 956 in the Bibles that are provided for you there in your rows. First Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse one. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel." For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Let us pray. Lord, as we pray this morning, I ask that your spirit would help me. Help me, Lord, to speak clearly and plainly, even urgently, Lord, as you call us to respond in faith to your word and be with my dear brothers and sisters, Lord, help them to set aside distractions, help them, Lord, to listen, Lord, with a hunger to know you more fully. Lord, I, I pray for any friends here who have yet to respond in faith to the gospel Lord, that today would be the day that their eyes and their hearts are open to to the truth that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we could never live. That he died on the cross bearing your wrath for our sins and that he rose again as the proof that all who believe would be made righteous in your sight. Lord, this is our hope. This is the the evidence of your great love for us. It, It is the only way by which we can ever know you. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's any who have yet to respond in faith to this reality, Lord, that today would be the day that they believe. Lord, we take a moment to pray for our brother Tim. Lord, that you would give him comfort as he suffers today. Uh, Lord, I pray that in you his joy would be full, Lord, even as he experiences pain in his body. Be glorified in this time together, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we tackle uh, what I would call a challenging passage, not because I think it's difficult to understand. I think, honestly, as we dig in and we consider it in context, it's pretty easy to understand. No, friends, today's passage is challenging because it focuses, in part, on the importance of financially supporting those who preach the gospel. Well, what makes this difficult is because the last thing that I want for you this morning is, is to think that I want more money. That's, that's not the goal. Now, I have always felt this way, and I have told many others that, uh, that, that I've always felt that New Hope is, has been incredibly generous in your Care for and provision for our family, for the Wicker family. In our day of televangelists, internet preachers, and prosperity charlatans, it's easy for the average person to come away with the idea that all pastors care about is money. Now, in fact, years ago, I was challenged by someone on the issue of why. I didn't preach more sermons telling people that they needed to give more faithfully to the church. After all, giving is important. Giving is an aspect of our worship and and it reveals that we prioritize God's agenda over our own. I thought it was a fair question. I I was not offended by being challenged in that way. I thought it was a reasonable question. And and my answer is is the same answer I always give when I'm asked why I don't preach more on a certain topic. And, And it's simple. I will preach on that topic when we get to it in the course of our studying books expositionally. I'm not avoiding it. I'm not afraid of it. When the Bible talks about it in the course of our study of a book, I'm going to talk about it. And here we are. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 9 deals with Paul's right to be supported by the churches he served. Specifically, the church in Corinth, which he helped establish. Here's the twist in this passage, though. This right was something that Paul chose to sacrifice in order to be more effective in his ministry to the Corinthians. Now, we're going to cover that more in depth in a moment why Paul would do that, but before we go further, I think it would be important to to remember the context of where we are in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Now, we know that here in the second half of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing questions that have been raised by the Corinthian Christians in a letter that they had previously sent to Paul. The, the, the first question that was raised we dealt with a, a month ago and that was a, the, the, the question of marriage and singleness. The, the, the second question raised dealt with whether or not it was acceptable for Christians to eat food that had been offered as a sacrifice at the local pagan temples. That was chapter 8. We covered that last week. And, and Paul begins his answer to the question in chapter 8. He begins the answer there, but the answer actually continues through chapters 9 and 10 as well. And it's important that we remember that. Now, he's dealt in chapter 8 with the question as it was asked. But we know, as we read Corinthians, that Paul never stops with a yes or no answer, does he? Can we eat food offered in the pagan temples? Yes. Next question. No, that's not how Paul operates. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and through his pastoral heart, in all of these questions we find him dealing with in First Corinthians, he gets beyond the initial question and gets to the heart of the matter. And that's why his answers concerning marriage and singleness in, in chapter 7 was a whole chapter. That's why this next question about whether or not it was okay to eat meat offered in the temple is three chapters long. Because it's not just about eating meat that had been offered in a temple. No, the, the heart of the matter for Paul was that he wanted the church to realize that as a church you have people in, in various levels of, of spiritual maturity and, and it's important for us to love one another enough, enough as a church to understand that how we relate to one another and how we believe in, in the context of a community of faith matters. In, in in the in the context of meat that had been offered to idols, there were some in the church who who simply by on on the basis of their history of idol worship, could not fathom as Christians even having food that had been brought to the temple even though Paul said, listen, if your conscience is clear on this matter, meat is meat, an idol is no real thing, so it's okay if your conscience is clear, but due to the fact that there were younger Christians, Christians who were, had weaker consciences, you who had no problem eating meat need to be aware that when you eat meat in a, in a setting where they can see you, you're setting a stumbling block, and the heart of the matter isn't meat, eating it or not eating it. He makes it clear that that's, neither is of, of a greater benefit than the other. But the heart of the matter is recognizing what is best for our brothers and sisters in the faith. That's the point of chapter 8. It's, it's a heart issue. We've got to love one another more than we love the freedoms that we have in Christ. That's the point. And if Paul had stopped at chapter 8, that would have been great. But he continues because he wants us to understand that, that Paul practiced what's he, what he preaches. And in chapter 9, we see Paul fleshing out a right that he has set aside. So that his ministry to the Corinthians would not be a stumbling block. This morning, as we dive into chapter 9, I'm going to focus on Paul's approach to ministry as a reminder of how important it is that we keep our priorities straight as followers of Christ, specifically as the brothers and sisters who make up New Hope Christian Fellowship. We're going to begin this morning by first considering Paul's faithfulness, even as his ministry was constantly scrutinized by those whom he served. And then secondly, we're going to consider all that Paul sacrificed for the sake of faithfully preaching the gospel in Corinth. Now, in verses 1 through 6, we see how Paul prioritized faithfulness under scrutiny. I want to read those verses to you again. Paul begins, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Now, remember, chapter 8, Paul addressed how mature Christians should should have given over some of their freedoms for the good of the weaker Christians in the church. And in verses 1 and 2, Paul makes the case that by virtue of his position as an apostle and also as one who was truly mature in Christ, he would have had more freedoms than any of them as it relates to his understanding of, of Scripture and all that he has. In Christ, what He can do. So let's consider Paul's position. He he begins by asking questions: Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you, not you Corinthians my workmanship in the Lord? Now we cannot consider these questions without remembering the condition of the church in Corinth. Remember, it was a a church that was divided over which church leader, and in some cases, which apostle each faction in the church followed. Some aligned themselves with Paul, the apostle who, along with Barnabas, actually brought the gospel to Corinth. Some were aligned with Apollos, the, the gifted teacher and preacher. Some claimed allegiance to Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples and and witnesses to his earthly ministry. And others claimed that they didn't need to follow any earthly leader, they just followed Jesus. Which in essence was saying that we can figure this out on our own. In the midst of this division that, that existed within the church, there were some in Corinth who were unimpressed with Paul in general and and we see this evidence through his defense of his ministry at various points in both the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians Paul's questions in verse 1 serve as a reminder that Paul is more mature than any of them am i not an apostle It was accepted by the other apostles that Paul was indeed one of them. We we see this both in the book of Acts and also in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter affirms Paul's writings and instruction to the church. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now, this is an important point as it relates to Paul's apostleship. Although the, the, the basic meaning of, of the w- Greek word that's translated apostle simply means sent one as you see it used in the Bible in, in relation to the apostles. It has a very specific meaning. There, there was a specific criteria in order to be referred to as an apostle in the Bible they had to have seen and been commissioned by the resurrected Lord. It had to be a personal encounter, an event. They were sent by him, literally, for the building of the church. We, we see this in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus speaks to the 11 remaining disciples before his ascension into heaven. You know the words All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, sending. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But wait, the Apostle Paul wasn't there. Well, you guys know you were here when we studied the book of Acts. We we know that the Lord appeared to Paul at least three times. It's been recorded in the New Testament. And the first was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Paul, who was called Saul at the time, was was traveling to Damascus, not on on a pleasure trip, but he was going on business. He was there to arrest Christians. He was going to persecute the church. Jesus appears in his glory on the road and the rest is history. The Bible also teaches that following his resurrection, Jesus appeared to James, the brother of the Lord, who who would become one of the the, the primary leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Apostle means sent one, but, but, but it is used specifically in reference to those who served in a unique, authoritative way in the early church and did so at the Lord's command. So so the questions, am I not an apostle, have I not seen Jesus our Lord, are connected questions. Paul was an apostle because he had seen and had been commissioned by our Lord. This is a defense of his authority before those who doubted him. But he continues, he says, it's not just that I've seen the Lord, it's not just that I've been commissioned by the Lord, but your existence as a church, Corinthians, is proof that my ministry is valid. Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul saying, listen, I'm, I'm the guy who first brought you the gospel. Your, your conversion and existence as a church is proof of my calling and service to the Lord. The fact that there was a church in that sinful city was evidence of God's hand upon the ministry of Paul. Now in ancient times, letters and other items that would be sent out, delivered from one place to another, were marked with a seal. Typically it was a, an imprint that was placed in wax, which served to validate who sent it. And Paul's argument to the church in Corinth is that anyone who would doubt his apostleship and faithfulness simply needed to look at the church in Corinth as proof, as as the seal, that he was legitimate. Now I want you to think about something for a minute, because it would be easy for us just to read that and think, oh, well, that's a great argument. Paul's really putting them in their place. You're the proof. How dare you? But if you think about it, in light of everything that's gone on there, for Paul to, to stop for a moment and say, Listen, church, you are the evidence that God sent me with the gospel. It's actually it's very loving and encouraging thing to say, is it not? Here he was writing to a people, people too in chapter 1, we saw he referred to as saints and, and reminded of their calling in Christ. Here, even as he is addressing this problem of those who would doubt and undermine his ministry, he offers them this gift, this reminder, you are the evidence of God's hand upon my ministry. It's actually a very kind and, 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 and touching thing to do. It's a, a loving and gracious statement to a church that was having an identity crisis. A, a church whose witness before the world was weak. These questions establish Paul's authority. They establish his maturity and also his faithfulness to the corinthians and next paul begins to list the rights that he and barnabas had as servants of the lord that they had passed over in order to serve the corinthians verse 3 he continues this is my defense to those who would examine me do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, make no mistake, all three of these questions actually address one issue. And that's the issue of provision and compensation from the church for those who, who serve in ministering to the church in Corinth Paul did not seek compensation from the church but he we know he supported himself as a tent maker he was there for 18 months now way back when we began this study of first Corinthians I I pointed out and and I told you I would come back to this in a moment earlier on I know it's been more than one moment and I apologize but, but we learn in Corinth that, that, that it was common to, to have traveling philosophers come to town and they would stand in the public square and they would give their oration and then they would pass the plate. They wanted people to be impressed with their speech and they would take a collection and that's how they lived, traveling from town to town seeking to find supporters for their philosophies that they would teach. You guys remember that? Is that ringing any bells? Well, it was common. We know the Greeks loved philosophy. Corinth was first a a, a Greek city before it became a Roman province. And so you still had that influence of of that Greek love for philosophy. And and so it was common. All, All the Corinthians, all the Corinthians Christians knew that it was a common sight to find a philosopher in the square espousing his wisdom. And so when Paul came to town, he he, he surveyed the landscape and he saw this practice and he decided, you know what, I don't want anyone to to mistake me for one of the philosophers. And so rather than standing in the square to, to, to preach the gospel and then passing the plate to receive support, which would line him up more with the ministry of the world than, than what he was trying to accomplish as a minister of the gospel. He said, no, I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going to preach in the synagogue and then I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles and, and I'm not going to seek money from anyone. I don't want there to be any confusion between my message for, for who Christ is, Son of God, sent to redeem mankind with, with the philosophies that others may be spouting. That makes sense. So it, it would have been good and right for, for Paul to expect to be paid for his labors, but, but he recognized that in this setting, it would be a, a hindrance to people seeing the difference from the philosophies of the day and, and the gospel that he proclaimed. He didn't want there to be any confusion about the difference between the gospel and worldly philosophy. In verse 5, as Paul talks about the right to take on a believing wife, he's, he's not simply referring to the right for them to get married, which they could have. But, but it's a statement about this ability to, to have a wife and have her travel with them as they ministry. That's what the word take along refers to in verse 5. The the other apostles had this right, including Peter and the brothers of Jesus. So so why was it that Paul and Barnabas could not exercise this right as well if they chose to? Paul and Barnabas were the exception in, in choosing to work in the marketplace and supporting themselves rather than the rule. So there's a distinction there that Paul's making. Well, what the church viewed as, as ministry, as weakness in Paul's ministry because of these things, and, and they did. Why, why aren't you like Cephas he's, or Peter? He's, he's married. Why aren't you like Apollo's? He, he takes our money when he comes to teach. They looked at these as weakness, and Paul says, no, you're missing the point. The point is, when I came, when Barnabas came, there wasn't a church. There was the need, there was the need for the gospel, and I set aside any rights to to, to seek help from you, because I wanted you to be focused solely on Christ. Christ. And so Paul understood that that even though later on it would cause this scrutinizing of his ministry, this questioning of his authority, he understood that it was better for him to be faithful to what he knew would not be a hindrance to the gospel than it would be to try to actively seek out the approval of man. And, And so Paul remained faithful by giving over his rights so that the gospel would not be hindered in Corinth. In verses 7-18, through 18, Paul fleshes out the depths of this sacrifice in not receiving financial support from the Corinthians. Verses 7-18, through 18. Paul continues, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But if we endure anything, rather than put an obstacle in the way but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel." For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So again, Paul isn't saying that his way is the right way, That in terms that every other apostle, every other pastor should serve their church without expecting there to be support. In fact, in verses 7-14, he makes it clear that, that it's the expectation that, that, that a church would support those who ministers to it. Paul makes this argument from two perspectives. First, just from a basic understanding of how the world operates, and then secondly, on the basis of God's law. In verse 7, this focus on the practice of the world. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? These were three professions which would have been common to those who lived in Corinth. Those who signed on as, as soldiers had their food, their training, even their weapons provided for them. And his argument is simple, if if they had to work an outside job in order to eat, in order to provide for their food and their clothing, then their training as soldiers and, and their readiness for war would suffer. That makes sense, right? their focus would be divided. And the same was true for the one who planted the vineyard or tended the sheep. It was necessary that they were rewarded from the fruit of their labor in order for them to best serve. And Paul's point is simple. If politicians and landowners and sheepherders recognize this, then so should the church. In verses 8 through 10, Paul points out that this principle is also seen in God's law as well. Verse 8, he writes, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. Now, verse nine is a quote of Deuteronomy chapter five, or twenty-five, verse four, uh, and in this case, uh, the ox is being used figuratively in the law to represent those who labor. If you go back and look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five, it's it's a it's a it's a lot of of writing about how they should relate to one another as fellow Israelites. There's not it's not a section on how to treat your animals. Okay, so it's a, it's a figurative statement saying that those who labor should be compensated for their labor. And it's a powerful image. When, when an ox would tread out the grain, it was forced to, to pull a giant stone as it walked around the threshing floor. And what would happen was the stone would, would come across the grain and it would crush it and, and, and separate the wheat from the chaff. And this was hard work for the ox, and to get the best work from the ox, it was best to leave the mouse, the mouth of the ox unmuzzled. Well, why? so he could breathe? No, that wasn 't the point. The point was that he 's pulling this heavy stone around the around the floor, and if the poor animal wants to stop and get a bite to eat to regain its strength, leave his mouth unmuzzled so he can eat and do his job and, and the point there in the law is that those who pay the laborers should should make sure that their needs were met so that they continue to work faithfully. The idea is that the ox works better with his belly full and his body energized rather than being worn out and starving because he could not eat. And in verse 10, Paul makes it clear that this principle, while it was good for the ox, was given for the good of human workers who worked with the expectation of benefiting from their labors. Everybody who's ever had a job can, can relate to that, right? Work isn't always fun. It's not always enjoyable. Sometimes it really is work. Sometimes there are blessings within that. But no matter what the job that we have, there's, there's always an aspect of, of striving and, and struggling that is involved with it. And are there not days that in the midst of our labor where you ask the question, wow, shouldn't we be doing something else? Or couldn't we be do, doing something else? Or wouldn't that job be easier? But what happens? The, the paycheck comes and you're like, okay, I am doing this for a reason. I can pay the bills and move on. That's, that's, that's the nature of work. There's striving, there's effort, and There's reward. Paul fleshes this out further in verses 11 through 14. He says, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others, listen to this, verse 12, share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. You see, the Corinthians were supporting others who served them, but not Paul and Barnabas. And in verse 12, we see that in doing so, they, the, those, those that were receiving support had a rightful claim or our expectation to receive that support. But Paul and Barnabas elected not to make use of this right. Remember, Paul is, is using he and Barnabas as an example of the importance of sacrificing certain rights for the sake of the gospel. We have to keep chapter 8 in view. This isn't a a, a teaching on how every church should treat its pastors and missionaries and staff, that they should follow Paul's example. It's Paul saying, listen, here is a specific way that I choose to lay aside my rights so that the gospel could come to you unhindered. But Paul's also not demanding to be paid, nor is he indicating that the, the Corinthians should stop supporting the other ministers. He wants them to see that, that sacrificing their rights for the gospel is a high calling, whether it be through obtaining, uh, or abstaining from eating certain type of foods or, or even choosing to support oneself in ministry so that the gospel would not be misunderstood. Now was it an extra hardship for Paul and Barnabas to support themselves in ministry? Most definitely. They were human too. Their their time would have been divided between their jobs and their ministry. But they were committed to not setting the stumbling block of money before the Corinthians and their ministry to them. It it was a sacrifice, but it was also a source of joy for Paul. Listen to verses 15 through 18. Paul continues, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Paul says, I'm not asking you for money. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now up to verse 14, it would be easy maybe even to assume that Paul is somehow shaming the Corinthians for not recognizing their obligation to support he and Barnabas. But we see in verse 15 that this is not the case at all. Paul still does not want their money. And and the idea of boasting is not that Paul thinks he's a better apostle than than, than those that were taking money. That's not his point here. His boasting is that he was able to, to, to freely give them what they needed. In a culture where every visiting speaker sought financial reward, Paul came taking nothing from them, but he gave them the message that leads to the greatest reward, eternal life in Christ. In Verses 16 and 17, Paul shares that that preaching the gospel is something that God has compelled him to do. Given what he knew to be true about the gospel and and what he knew he had received from God, there was no plan B. Paul says, I'm not doing this simply because I want to. I'm doing this because I recognize this is what I must do as one who has been sent by God. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus, he could do no less and would do no less than proclaim the truth. And next week, we'll see from the rest of chapter 9 that Paul continues to build on this theme, this motive of his ministry and his goal in ministering to the Corinthians. So be sure to come back for that. But as I close this morning, I want to focus really on two types of application. The, The first is focused on what we can learn from Paul's example. Now, last week, we were reminded that sometimes we must Surrender our rights for the goods, the good of other Christians. That's the point there. This week, I believe that Paul's example challenges us that sometimes we must lay lay aside certain rights and certain areas of focus in order to reach those outside the faith as well. The focus is clear the, that, that, that love should compel us in such a way that, that we're willing to, to, to set aside anything that we think might be a hindrance in our gospel proclamation. Well, what does that look like for us? Well, it really could take a lot of different forms, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll pick the low-hanging fruit to start with, social media. Social media has given us both a, a great opportunity for good and also a great opportunity for us to see how far we have yet to go in our spiritual growth as Christians. With it, we have the opportunity to, 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 to share the good things that God is doing. But we also find the opportunity to, 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 to promote our position on, on issues that are not gospel related. And so I think it falls on us, as followers of Christ, to think deeply about the things that we proclaim and promote. Politics is a hot button issue, and, and we certainly should take a stand and be involved in those things that honor God. But are there things that we're promoting and stands that we're taking that are actually harming our efforts at sharing the gospel with those that we disagree with? Again, I'm not saying that we don't take a stand, but but we must learn to do so with wisdom and grace. Because what is the greatest need? That they switch parties? Absolutely not. Their greatest need is to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so we need to think more strategically and more critically, not about what we're reading from other people, but what we're putting out ourselves. Not just in social media, but also in our conversations. Many of you, most of you, almost all of you work with non-Christians. What does the content of what you communicate to them or how you interact with them say to them about Christ's place in your life. Now, again, I'm not legalistic here in terms of we can't ever talk about anything that's not gospel related. That's that's not my point. My point is everything that we talk about, everything that we focus on, even those things that we disagree on, must have a gospel flavor in that others see how the gospel's affecting our lives. Because if I just ream someone out over some insignificant point, how closely do you think they're going to listen to me when I try to tell them about the love of Jesus, when I've just showed them that I really just love being right? In Corinth, the issue was money. Paul didn't want them to think that he was just another philosopher coming to town. And so he took the stumbling block out of the way. For us, in our settings, it might look very different. But we must be aware of the fact that that we, too, can set stumbling blocks before those that we want to reach with the gospel. We should always speak the truth in love. We should always take a stand for what's right. We should even stand against those things that are wrong. But we should also do those things where there be an obvious flavor of, uh, of how the gospel's been at work in our lives as well. So that's the example we can learn from Paul. The other application that I think we can take away from this passage that's very important is that as followers of Christ, we should be generous. We should be generous. Paul didn't set a, a, a stumbling block before the Corinthians, but he also doesn't let them off the hook and say that they shouldn't be making it possible for the, for the teachers and the preachers to come there and serve them. Now again, I have no complaints. From day one, I have I, I I felt like you guys give us more than we deserve. For a church this size, the, the, the generosity and love and care and support that we experience as a family is truly humbling. So, so, so hear me seeking to be faithful to the truth, not seeking to get more from you for me. But we are still called to be generous, generous in our support of, of others, of those who come and serve here, those who come and speak, people who we support in ministry. We need to recognize that, that it's not like the days of old. and this, I hope this is not true in, in, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, but I will tell you where I've come from. There was a, a, an instance, we had a, a missions conference at the first church I was on staff full time and, and, I, and I had a great ministry to our seniors there. The senior citizens like me better than the youth that I was actually hired to serve. But I was talking with, with one of the ladies one day and we were talking about the missions conference coming up and, and she said, Pastor Sam, I want you to know I've been saving all my used tea bags to give to the missionaries when they come. And I'd never heard anything like that in my life. I'm like, well what's that for? I was like, I've seen the car you drive. Go buy them a box of Lipton. What in the world? But but they would save their tea bags after one use to give to the missionaries where they came. I was like, well, Ah! You guys don't do that, do you? You should be ah too if you do because think about <laughs> that's a trip to Starbucks, the nastiest coffee you could buy. One cup, you can buy a box of tea and bless a missionary that hasn't already gone through your nasty tap water. But 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 it's like we're doing them some kind of favor. I, I, yeah, oh no no the, the 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 preacher we support out in the country's coming to town. I, I've got my 1970s suit. I've set it aside. I think it'll fit him. I'm gonna give it to him when he comes. I want to bless him. Well, you want people to think he's a lounge singer? Now, again, there are situations and there are people who, who, who do not have the ability to, to give as they would like. And a gift like that, in that setting, I think is very honoring to the Lord. So please notice, I, I am not making fun of, of people who do not have means who are trying to be generous. That is not my point at all, at all. But my point is, is when we have the ability and we do not make use of the ability, then we are truly dishonoring The God who has been generous to us. And that is really the basis of our generosity. We we don't give to get from God. We give because we've been given everything from Him. What did we just learn? Two chapters ago, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you've been given everything in Christ. What more do you need? That hasn't changed. He's given us all things in Christ. And so as we are able, we should look for opportunities to 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 bless others in their generosity when missionaries come to speak and share we, we we try to give them an honorarium and bless them but are we looking for opportunities to make it possible for both they and their spouse to come and be with us not just one are we making sure that they have food to eat when they leave can we can we take you out to lunch and bless you Are there other ministries that we know about that, 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 that even if we couldn't support full-time on a monthly basis, that we could give a gift to encourage and support? We do great with benevolence and, and we should continue to excel as that as a church. But, but I want us, my, my, my prayer for us as we consider God-honoring generosity is that we look at ways across the board. How can I glorify God with what He's blessed me with? How, how, how can I bless that, that that visiting minister, that visiting missionary in a way that, that says, you know what? This is all for Jesus. I I, I thank God for, for what you're doing. For how you're serving. It's not a lot, but but it's what I have to give. Go, be blessed. This is an offering to God. Use it to meet a need you have. Oh, and here's a box of new tea. God has been extremely generous to us, brothers and sisters. He has lavished his grace upon us. Let us look for opportunities to bless others in that same way. Let us pray together and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for your word.